Cheers to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the greatest generation Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Coco Nono Ben Harrison. In the action figures made about our lives and about our show, this is a special version, the Coco Nono version. Yeah, like this isn't like if if you ask for an Adam Pranica action figure for Hanukkah or Christmas. And this is what your mom gets you. Like you're a little disappointed because you want like the mainline one. But like <laughs> if you have the mainline one already, and this is what you get, it's like oh cool. Like like I have an alt of of the main guy. You know, you want to complete the set ideally. Yeah, I'm drinking my Coco Nono out of a a rum barrel tiki mug. Well, that's nice. Yeah, they, there used to be a tiki bar in Oakland called Longitude that had, you know, like most tiki bars of of uh, any note have like at least one drink on the menu that has a, a special mug that you get to take home with you. Mm. And mm-hmm. uh, Longitude has gone out of business, but I have their mug, so. What a treasured memory. Yeah, I loved it. I loved that place. And uh, I think it was our buddy Sarus Farivar that put me onto that place. How about um, that? Yeah. It's a it just looks like a big old big old tapered barrel and it says Longitude Oakland on one side and on the other side it says the queen. God bless her. <laughs> so I th- That's I think, what they say about the queen? Yeah. I think the I think the drink was called the rum the queen's barrel or the queen's rum barrel or something like that. Hmm. That sounds great. Uh, so tell me a little bit about the contents of that glass. What are you drinking, Ben? So I'm. this is a, a tweak on my Friday evening beverage that I always make for myself on Thursday these days, which is a frozen daiquiri. And the tweak is that I've added some Angostura bitters and some, uh, some coconut juice, like some young coconut water, I guess, and some passion fruit pulp. Wow. Yeah. Just, uh, just kicked it up a notch. Sounds very exotic. Yeah. There's a there's a little grocery store near my house that always has passion fruits next to the register and I am it's like it's like they did it at me. Like I have no ability to resist passion fruits right at the register. Like only only you would be uh <laughs> only you would be subject to impulse passion fruits. I like gum, I don't even see. Like I'm not yeah. interested in gum at all. And putting that near the cash register is basically a zero for me. But passion yeah. fruits, I'm going to get them every time. Every time. Wow. You're kind of, uh, you're doing an improv tiki because uh, you're you're not bringing new objects into the house right now on account of your impending move to Los Angeles. What are you yeah. working with, Adam? I was in the middle of a little bit of a cocktail freak out that you talked me off the ledge of. <laughs> No better friend to a drinker than Benjamin R. Harrison. <laughs> you reminded me of a very important rule. It's the three, two, one rule, right? Uh, where these are the proportions of a drink, ideally, and you can make a lot of drinks using these proportions. You, three being the uh, the the spirit, two being the sour, and one being the sweet, right? Yeah. So what I had was no rum, but what I did have was gin, and you also reminded me that there are plenty of tiki drinks with gin. So yeah. uh, my th- my three was gin, my two was lemon juice, 
uh, from the two remaining lemons in my refrigerator, and the one was pineapple juice and a banana. Nice. Put that in a blender, whacked it with a handful of ice cubes, and uh, and I dusted the top with a couple of hearty shakes of Li Hing Mui powder, which uh, is just a taste of the Hawaiian Islands that wow. that puts me in a nice tiki drink frame of mind. I think well uh, it, it, it adds a pleasant, sour uh, bitterness to it that uh, I'm enjoying with every sip because I'm, I'm going sand straw here. I'm just taking it out of the cup and I get a, a nice bit of the powder every time I do. So what do you want to name this drink, Ben? Uh, wow. I, I mean, the, this, this uh, Li Hing Mui curveball, I'm really excited about. Uh, I'm I, thinking I, about calling it the powdered wig, you know, in <laughs> reference to uh, Long Live the Queen and your drink, right? That's, uh, that's pretty excellent. I, I, I'm, I'm all about that. Yeah, it's tasty. Uh, that's so great. I, I recently was at a tiki bar with not just wife, my wife, but your wife. We had, uh, mm-hmm. we had gone out to a film and got a drink afterwards. And the, the place we went into was a, a sushi restaurant that had happened to have a tiki menu. And I had a gin based tiki drink there. So there you go. I feel, I feel very close to you right now, Adam. So it is possible. <laughs> <laughs> Gin-based tiki drinks are possible. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you just get so rum-minded. Yeah, I, when you I think of the I, tiki drink. I am very guilty of that, but uh, they, the, they had Singapore slings on the menu, and you just don't see that that often. Yeah, and uh, and it came out in a uh, a ceramic coconut, and uh, that's great. You know, all the heads in the place turned to see who got the ceramic coconut drink. It was me. You ordered the fajitas of the tiki drink place. <laughs> I totally did. Yeah, they, uh, the bar immediately started making a couple of extras because they knew that some orders would come in once that first one went out. Went to a tiki bar in Portland. I already told the story of the donuts, but that was a place where if you order a certain drink, the, the thunder and lightning and the rain happens. Oh, yeah. That's that's a ton of fun. That's great. Give me all the fake weather in a tiki bar. Yeah, the we the Tonga room in uh, in San Francisco has fake weather. Yeah, they but do it's, that too. It's not triggered by a drink order. I'm a little hesitant about that sometimes. Like there's a there's a tiki bar in L.A. called Tiki Tea that mm-hmm. I think is not a great tiki bar. It's fine, but uh, it's definitely not like on my on my Mount Tiki more or anything. Oh um, well. I'm going to be living in L.A. before too long, Ben. What are the top tiki bars in L.A. to you? Well, so there's the Tonga Hut in L.A., which is mm-hmm. really good. And then uh, there's one downtown that I forget the name of that's also supposed to be great. I like. I honestly need a tiki wingman to explore because, you know, L.A. and Oakland are where the tiki bar phenomenon first started. And uh mm. And I think that's owing to like probably where people were discharged from the Navy after World War II. Right. So I'm, I'm guessing that that's why, the why, but like I haven't gotten quite as forensic as I would like to with my uh, tiki explorations of the Southland. And I know that there's like a, there's like a steak restaurant in Glendale that has a tiki bar attached to it. That's a hell of a combination. Yeah. Yeah, we got to find you a wingman down there, Ben. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, if you have any ideas. Yeah, I guess, I guess uh, <laughs> what I need is like kind of like a dating app, but for 
men that want to drink rum drinks with me. Yeah. <laughs> My wife certainly doesn't. <laughs> I was getting yeah. to something, but I forgot. Oh, uh, what, what, what I was going to say is Tiki Tea has a drink that uh, if... It, it, there's nothing. There's no warning about this on the menu, but um, but if you if you order, I think it's called the Uga Booga, which is problematic already. Uh, the bartender will yell Uga Booga a bunch of times while he's putting a a rum float on the top of the drink, and everybody in the in the bar uh, often gets involved, and it's like it's uh, it's very uncomfortable because it seems racist and bad. <laughs> Everyone, for some reason, starts doing the tomahawk chop. Yeah, it's like, guys, come on, like let's yeah. uh, let's let's back this culture away from its more regrettable aspects. Why don't we? I can say to near certainty that you and I had maybe one of the best sketchfest experiences that we've had up until now. But I think one of the ways that we kind of blew it was by not going to Smuggler's Cove or to Tonga Room. Yeah. It was a very tiki drink-free experience. Yeah, we missed my favorite Chinese restaurant in lieu of Roderick's favorite Chinese restaurant, and we missed Smuggler's Cove and Tonga Room in lieu of a uh, bar that we hung out at with uh, Jordan Morris and uh, John Hodgman, among a couple of other people. I'm just going to put this out there. Uh, I believe your choice of Chinese restaurants superior to John's choice. Wow. Shots fired in a place yeah. where John Roderick will never hear yeah. shots. Yeah, it's like I, I, I went out deep into the forest and started like doing target practice out there where no one could hear me. Yeah. Uh, I'll just put this out there. Nobody likes a Twitter snitch. So if you think it would be funny to direct John Roderick at our podcast to blow up Adam's spot, you're wrong. Yeah, no one no one listens when you say things like that, Ben. It's going to happen. So you should just edit it out. Okay. I guess, uh, well, I, I am probably going to edit this episode, so... Oh boy, I've made I've uh, I've got my work cut out for me. Do you want to get into the episode, Adam? I sure do. It's hard to believe that it is the beginning of season six of Deep Space Nine. Yeah, and uh, and our greatest generation journey through it. It's we only a- have a year of Deep Space Nine left, basically. <laughs> and then what? And then what, Adam? And then it's all over. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna propose maybe taking a break. <laughs> maybe we pivot to uh, to general interest podcast after this. Yeah, <laughs> just just Adam and Ben talking talking about nothing the way the first ten to fifteen minutes of every episode is. Yeah, how would you like it if the Marin was the whole thing? People would burn the house down. Yeah, it's true. Well, uh, until that time comes. Uh, enjoy the first episode of the sixth season of Deep Space Nine. It's an episode called A Time to Stand. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. Tonight we stand a time. And tonight we stand Brandon Tartikoff. This episode in memory of Brandon Tartikoff, who was like a big TV executive, worked on... Seinfeld and a bunch of other stuff. A name familiar to those uh, with an interest in television in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. I guess he was involved in the creation of Deep Space Nine, but as far as I could tell, he didn't like 
He, he, he didn't staff the show. He was one of those big idea guys in that, like, he sort of saw the potential of onboarding another Star Trek show while TNG was on and then sort of cycling them through and cycling them into movies as the series went on. Right, with, yeah. With minimal overlap. That was sort of uh, an idea that he was in on. Yeah, I, like early to the idea of this is a, like, let's treat this universe as real. What other stories could we tell? Like, he, he maybe, like, like, was one of the first people to realize that Star Trek was a place. Yeah, I mean, it's just unfortunate he never said it the way I did, so he wouldn't get the credit. Yeah, you, you that kind you, of idea. He got the credit. I mean, he, he also was friends with Bill Cosby, so uh, you know, not a not a perfect person. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, does he remember being friends with Bill Cosby? Yeah, did he ever do like a a, Bill, a running Bill Cosby bit on like a podcast <laughs> that then he could get two star iTunes reviews for for the rest of his life? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Cosby is the gift that keeps on giving, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> ben, when we get to the actual episode, we get our our package. Like this feels very familiar to those who enjoy a cliffhanger, but yeah. very specifically, this is not a cliffhanger. No. This is the beginning of serialization, and and it may be a semantic argument to make, but when we hear "and now the continuation" instead of "now the conclusion," that is a statement that makes that case. Yeah, that's a. That's, I think the first time we've ever heard that on the show. Right. 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 We're not getting dun duns. We're not getting part twos and threes and four parentheticals. We're just going to start running here in season six. I wonder if there were kids that were watching this show as their trek and like this was their best of both worlds this was the summer that they hated every moment of because they couldn't wait to find out what happened mr war all weapons fire at will and i wonder how they felt when we come back from the summer and that fucking awesome fleet of federation and klingon ships has gone from being like resplendent and numerous to being like totally fucked up and full of holes and burning in space. Like the fleet that we left the end of season five with is not what we come back to. And that is a, that is a real tone setter. I read that there was kind of a sea change in the philosophy of the writers at this point. They did not want to be handcuffed to a season finale and have to pick it up right where it left off. And when you have a cliffhanger, like that's that's how cliffhangers work. You fall off a cliff and then you hit the bottom. Like that, it's A to B is you, how that works. You order Mr. Worf to fire and then three months later you find out whether or not he pushed the button. And what happened in season six is they're starting to create these story arcs that go many episodes long. And so what you're doing when you create stories like this is is there was a lot of conflict in the room where if you make a tweak to the third episode, that's going to have an effect on the sixth episode. And it may even change a detail that you were hoping to use in the first. Yeah. So there was a lot of coordination happening here in order to create this kind of serialization. And it sounded, I mean, when you're used to a thing being a certain way for five years and then you change all of a sudden well, five years and like almost all of television history <laughs> right yeah yeah it's challenging yeah 
So, uh, so they're basically like coming up with a new way of doing TV at this point. And, uh, right. and I think like to their credit, like there's that golden age of film that is like, you know, like some of the most amazing movies were made like right as talkies became possible. Yeah. And it's like suddenly the kinds of stories artists wanted to tell are possible and they can do it. And like, and this kind of feels like that, like the rules are, are different all of a sudden and they can do like pretty amazing shit. And I think to their credit, they do do amazing shit in this episode. Yeah, I think so. I mean, your comment about the fleet being on fire was the thing that inspired that discussion about the writer's room writing more serially. Yeah. Because when we last saw this fleet, it looked fine and now it's on fire. Yeah. And they're like, they're trying to find out what happened out to other fleets. Like Nog is sitting there at, at comms, like saying he's he wishes they'd heard from the seventh fleet. Shouldn't we have heard something from the seventh fleet by now? That's just planted as uh, as something. And yeah, like the case is made that they've been on the run for three months. And for three months, they've been getting their asses kicked by pursuing Jem'Hadar ships. Yeah. Everyone's bedraggled and cranky with each other. Like they like this is almost entirely described through Dax's hair. We could all use some sleep. Because the other people we get to see on the bridge are Cisco and Nog, who don't have hair to be messed up. <laughs> but yeah, but they look uh, they look pretty exhausted. I mean, hair continuity is a thing we used to really dig into in the the TNG version of this show. Yeah, and uh, one person that's not looking bedraggled is Bashir, who is looking like like well tanned and super hunky all of a sudden and trim yeah he he looks like a a bunch of girders put together and like if the zipper was any lower on his uh, on his shirt we'd see the top of his dick yeah looking great <laughs> he looks dope garrick would like to uh to get some some medical attention because he bonked his noggin and bashir is like also super attractive to me because he's just like not giving him the time of day you know I mean, there has been a, a three-month passage of time here. Garrick is comfortable wandering throughout the ship. He's wearing the comm badge of someone who belongs there. Yeah. He's chatting Bashir up on, on their chances of making it through this war because everyone is it's very cynical about their chances, Bashir included. Well, if you're trying to cheer me up, it's working. And because Garrick knows Bashir's a super genius, he figures Bashir has already done the calculations, and sure enough... Uh, what Bashir produces is a 32.7% chance of their survival. So not great, but not bad either. Yeah. I mean, to Bashir's credit, he's like being more open about being a genetically engineered super genius, but he's also being a little bit more open about being a piss freak because he's got his <laughs> collection of piss uh, clearly stacked up on top of uh, one of the <laughs> one of the <laughs> lockers in Six Bay. <laughs> You know, it's far more freeing to just have this out in <laughs> the open. Live my truth in the open. <laughs> I keep my quarters slightly warmer than the others. <laughs> it's it's so the urine stays fresh. I let the dew drip down the walls. Feels quite nice. <laughs> Odo has his yellow ocean and I have mine. Dex, Cisco, and Martok are having a McLaughlin group in the mess hall. And Martok and Worf are having that conversation that is sort of like hearing another person on the phone 
and you're mildly curious about what they're so upset about, and then that person makes you ask them what they're upset about. <laughs> Martok's like, tell her, and Worf's like, I don't want to. And, <laughs> and Dax and Cisco are finally like, what <laughs> are you talking about? And what they're talking about is uh, the difference in opinion that Worf and Dax have about their wedding. It's two handkerchiefs and a loincloth. And where exactly the Targ portion of the event will take place. It's it's not high stakes. No. It's not a big deal. No, it's not a big deal. What was a big deal to me, and I wondered if, if I was seeing this wrong or what, but it looked like Dax was wearing a third solid pip. That got by my goalie. I didn't notice. Yeah, it looks like maybe she is now a commander. She's now Commander Jedzia Dax, having skipped Lieutenant Commander, maybe? Hmm. I don't know, Ben. Aren't you bored of weddings? People <laughs> will not stop talking about weddings. Yeah, it, uh, there's the, like, Aristotelian storytelling thing that, that, like, tragedies end in funerals and comedies end in weddings. And there seem to have been a oh. lot of weddings, given how dark everything is on Deep Space Nine these days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. I don't get it. It's like uh, it's like they're trying to live their lives while this war is going on. It's like, <laughs> come on, guys, set everything aside. Right. Enter Bashir. He's got some news. The news is that for some reason, <laughs> for some reason, news from Starfleet flows through Bashir, which is then disseminated to the assembled party in the mess hall. Yeah. They've been they've been recalled to Starbase three seventy five. Oh, and also. That fleet that they were expecting the help from, the seventh fleet, has been reduced from 112 ships to 14. So that <laughs> kind of explains why, why no one came to help them from the seventh. Do we assume that most ships have a enterprise level crew complement? Like, is, are we talking about 98,000 Starfleet officers losing their lives? Well, I mean, not every ship is a galaxy class. I mean, there's there's plenty of Del Souls and, and hoods the, out there. But the Del Souls look like they have as much capacity as a galaxy, right? I don't know. I mean, it's... They, they don't have as much neck, I guess. So, so, maybe, so maybe they're like three quarters or... Like, even conservatively, we're talking about 50,000 people dying, like, in between last episode and this. I think... The point you bring up is interesting because no one in the room takes it as a loss of life concern. It is a strategic concern to everyone. No one stops and goes, wow, a lot of deads. Yeah. It's instead, oh, that's why we were hung out to dry and why we've been awake for 72 hours. The cavalry is not coming. The cavalry is not coming. Gandalf is not going to show up on the, on the mountain with the, uh, with the Rohirrim. Nobody is coming to help them. And it's pissed off Cisco to theme. So after our beloved theme song, we come back and we're hanging out on Deep Space Nine with Gul Dukat, who over the period of three months has grown out a great big page boy. So I guess he, he, he really has like fast growing hair if this was what he was able to do in three months. This has got to be Brent Spiner's wig from season one TNG. He's definitely got data season one hair going. Every time he turns his head, even a little bit, it's really whipping around. Yeah, the, the mullet really, really 
whips back and forth. And uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, like, Cardassians have to be going to the barber like once a week to keep it tight the way they normally do, right? Garrett keeps it tight. Oh, you know what? Is the headcanon that all of the shops left uh, Deep Space Nine and so even the barber isn't there to give him a little trim? I would accept that headcanon, except Damar is there, and his hair looks the same as Damar's hair always yeah, does. Damar's keeping it tight. You know that about him. Wayun probably can just, like, control the rate that his hair grows, right? Exactly. Yeah. Kira is there. She has been left on the station and uh, basically hating life because Dukat is back in charge and- Right next to Dukat is Wayun, and Kira is basically gagging at these assholes. But they're making the case that, like, hey, like the station is is go- is going great. Like the, you know, the the promenades full of businesses. You hear the laughter of children and the bustle of commerce. There's, uh, we're all friends. Like this is going great for Bajor and for the Cardassians, and it's all due to the Dominion. I feel like it's been a long time since. Nana Visitor has like really been able to chew up some scenery with someone and they oppose Kira with Wayun here. And I feel like they don't give her that opportunity. You know, like I, I would really love to at some point see Jeffrey Combs and her like really chop it up. Yeah. And so far it's just teasing that possibility right now because the only person that Kira lives to fuck with right now is Ducat. And, yeah. and we get those scenes in this episode, but the, the Kira Wayun conflict is not a thing at this point. No, but I think that that's intentional. Like, I feel like they're they're kind of zhuzhing us up for that. And the thing that makes me think that is the shot composition in this scene. Like, anytime Kira is talking to Wayun, there is a Damar or a, or a Gul Dukat in the shot. Like, it, it's yeah. always like Kira in the foreground, Damar in the background, Wayun in the foreground, Dukat in the background. That it's, it's making the case that, like, this is a conflict that is on the, that is going to grow and grow. Yeah, I hope so. Because, I mean, we both know what they're capable of. Yeah. And, uh, and they're capable of a lot. It's going to be really fun. Kira's big ask here is like, hey, you guys said when we signed this whole non-aggression pact that we'll, we would get to continue to like do things the way they've been done. And one one thing that we would like to highlight is that the Bajorans have not really been given uh, control of the security on the station. And that's a bit of a backslide. Like, we don't want this death of a thousand cuts situation. We don't want the Cardassians and the Jem'Hadar to be controlling the situation here. It seems like an ask she has to make, but one that she also knows the answer to before asking. Like, to the extent that she can't even be pissed at at what the answer is. I'm sure in time we'll be able to resolve all these minor problems to our mutual satisfaction. I remember you said that. One of the things we learn from this scene is the extent to which the Dukat Wayun relationship is starting to show some cracks, right? Like they don't agree about the idea of armed Bajorans on the station. And also Wayun fucking hates Damar. Hates him so much. <laughs> Fuck Damar forever, says Wayun. Yeah, Wayun and, and and I think it's interesting. If you're Damar, do you like do you, are you super careful walking around the station, like thinking that you're gonna die at any moment? I sure would if I were him. I wonder because I saw that conflict brewing and I thought that it was very interesting that the show does not super clearly define what the hierarchy is 
W slash R slash T Wayun and Ducat. Like, is Ducat able to protect Damar? Does Ducat care to protect Dumar? Is Ducat technically above Wayun and Wayun is just there to like advise him on behalf of the Dominion? Like this is the question that's related to the one that I asked in the last episode, which is like, to what extent are you are you kneecapping conflict by making one party in a conflict so much stronger than the other? This, right. this is the same thing happening here when when the two parties are are aligned. Yeah, and like the Dominion is cut off here. Like I guess they can probably communicate, but the the minefield in front of the wormhole means no more ships and no more big ships ben well why aren't they making little tiny ships little needles yeah then you then you get through that minefield you, you start uh you start putting gem hadars into torpedo tubes <laughs> like like wharfs old uh old lady friend like like kalar yeah, yeah. start kalar in that hole wow i mean they say that guys with just like Torpedo tubes can be just as just as effective as levers. They just have to learn other techniques. Yeah, sometimes natural lubricant isn't enough. That's why you need <laughs> Kalar. <laughs> we get the case made in this by Ducat that the c- collapse of the Federation is just a matter of time. Like this is right. a war of attrition that is like Dominion favored, but like the other. Part of that math is that the Ketracel is a problem. I got that ice cream, Nick. The Dominion part of the Cardassian Dominion fleet is going to stop being effective when the Ketracel runs out. And that's something that Wayun says, but the, sh- the episode does not explain. Like, if this is the first episode of Deep Space Nine you're watching, or even the 10th episode of Deep Space Nine you're watching, I don't think you know what Ketracel White is. I mean, contextually, you get that much, much later in the episode when it's distributed. But yeah, at this point in time, it's a little bit of a, of a MacGuffin. I think that that's super cool. Like, TV shows before this would re-explain and right. this yeah. is this has the confidence of a show that's like we'll pay off what what it means that Ketracel Light is not available on this side of the wormhole later. But for right now, like if you're if you're just checking this show out for the first time, good luck. Also, we don't have the fucking time for that kind of exposition here. Like we're in the middle of a story arc that is packing a ton of weight into a bag. So yeah, like we got to move on. Yeah. The uh, last episode in this one are 20 pounds of episode in two five-pound bags. And uh, right. I'm not even sure like which, you know, like how that's distributed. If it's, if it's 10 in one and 10 in the other or eight in one and uh, what is it? <laughs> 12 I mean, in it's the other. totally it's totally normal for one bag to to be lower than the other. Like that's not a cause for concern. Right. You don't have to set up a doctor's appointment if, no. if one bag is lower than the other. Yeah. Yeah. It's only if you if you uh, feel a lump that shouldn't be there. Right. That's and, probably uh, the reason. Yeah. And uh, the way you detect that is by rolling the nacelles between your thumb and forefinger when you take a shower. You take both episodes into the shower and uh, <laughs> and you check them both out. Quark is trying to uh, is trying to encourage his new Jem'Hadar customers to learn how to party. Seems like the Cardassians know what they're doing. When it comes to enjoying the 
temptations of the bar, but the Geminar are not interested in gambling. They're not interested in fucking hollow women. They're not interested in anything. They're not, they're, they're not even buying drinks. Like, I, I think maybe like the biggest, most explicit illustration of how brazen the Jem'Hadar are as people is that they will walk into a bar and occupy a bunch of tables and not order anything. God. This is like the coffee shop problem. Right. Like, like the Jem'Hadar are there with their laptops, chilling out, taking the space of paying customers. Using the Wi-Fi. Yeah, it's not fun. And, I mean, what little customer service there is for Quark to dispense is going unappreciated yeah. by these guys. It's too bad. It's very, very much too bad, Adam. To be quite honest about it, I was in a pale. I'm fucking in a Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. I don't use the bucket anymore. Nearby, Kira and Odo. Uh, Mr. Bucket. <laughs> are discussing the Ducat problem. She thinks that Ducat's there for revenge and to like spool up the labor camps and basically, you know, make Deep Space Nine great again. <laughs> and they're they're sort of like openly hypothesizing whether or not they can trust Wei Yun more than Ducat. And the answer may surprise you. I don't really trust him, but I trust him more than Ducat. The answer is yes. Yeah, and I think I agree with them. TBH. And Quark kind of agrees with that, right? He's saying like, As occupations go, this one's not so bad. There's not ghetto fences out there. Like, this is pretty cool in the scheme of things. And I'm as, a, as surprised as anyone to hear me say it, but I wish the Federation was still here. But it's not as bad as it could be. Whenever anyone says things could be a lot worse, that is often said before things eventually get that way, right? Yes. Yeah, that's... Uh, you know, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna call my senator. <laughs> I mean, things could be a lot worse, but I'm. I'm busy. It's an interesting liminal space on the station for the characters that have remained the, there. Like, it's not that Quark is happy about his circumstances. I'm sure he'd love to be making money off of gamblers, but the the lack of ghetto, I think, <laughs> puts a rosy spin on things. It does put a rosy spin on things. The drink that he gives Kira looks a lot like the drink I'm drinking, by the way. I feel the same way. I yeah. think I have a, I've underpowdered my drink. Here's the thing about Lehing Mui powder. You want to like coat the shit out of what you're eating with it. I think it's just one of the great flavors. I was thinking the other day to myself that I've never felt like there was too much Parmesan or too much mm. black pepper on something. Theoretically, there's too much of that, but I've, I've never actually experienced it. Is that what you're saying about Lehi Mui powder? powder? Here's the thing I want to say to all all waiters out there who are turning pepper grinders on my salad. Yeah. I may be saying when. I don't mean it. No, it's. It, I feel bad for you because you had to bring the three-foot-long pepper grinder out here. It's a sympathy when. That's what it is. That's all it is. My capacity for pepper outstrips your physical strength in those moments. I will fucking bury you with my desire for, for pepper. It is yeah. only my sympathy that prevents it. There was an Italian restaurant in the East Village in New York back in the day. This is the first restaurant I ever took my wife on a date to. And it was a restaurant that was beloved to me because they came to your table with your food and then they would put a bowl of Parmesan, like pre-grated good Parmesan 
And that's I, what you want. And when I say bowl, I mean like a like bigger than a cereal bowl, like a big, big bowl of grated Parmesan with a spoon that's in classy it. Classy as hell. And you just put as much Parmesan on your shit as you want. God, that's nice. Yeah, that's real that was nice. Some fucking good shit. Yeah. And no yeah. wonder they went out of business. That was probably a very expensive thing to do. <laughs> Yeah, but you know what? You're having that Parmesan fantasy every time you go to an Italian restaurant from now on. Yeah. You're trying I, to chase that Parmesan dragon, Ben. I, and can't, I can't catch it. Can't catch that that white dragon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to wide, ride that white horse one more time, Adam. <laughs> what was the name of that restaurant? Paprika went out of business. Do you, have, do you find you're kind of a, a black cat for these places? <laughs> Feels like a lot of a lot of your favorite places are going out of business, Ben. What do you think that's about? It's very sad. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take you to my favorite places. That's for sure. Oh, I I mean I don't blame you, but that makes me really sad. <laughs> we gotta have you up here to say goodbye to all of my favorite Seattle places before I move away. Yeah, you're moving away, so you might as well just fucking yeah. leave leave the place a, an explosion in, in slow motion, right? Yeah, like walk to the airport as all of my favorite restaurants immolate behind me that's the move right like like i'll come up and we'll just like burn the town down one last time and then the next day we will both fly to la where we both live i don't have a lot of favorite places i feel like we could take them all down in like four days yeah like lunch dinner lunch dinner lunch dinner lunch dinner we can and we will all right this is uh this is probably the best money the Xbridge shimoda corporation has ever spent Oh, it's even better that it now that it's a business expense. <laughs> Maximumfund.org slash donate is how you can support such a mission for yeah. me and Ben. Support us putting some small businesses out of business. <laughs> At Starbase 375, we meet a six-pip Admiral William Ross. Like a boss. And he is there to relieve... Cisco of command of the little D. Yeah, he takes Cisco's saber out of its scabbard and breaks it over his knee. It's a momentary sadness that is replaced with a new mission, a mission they don't know about yet, because Cisco tells Dax that uh, they'll get their new assignment later, and he's pretty sure they're going to be all together, whatever that assignment is. Yeah. So we can't really like sit in that moment very long. This we- is the pace of this episode. Yeah, I mean, like, I think that Admiral Ross seems like a messy, dramatic dude, because it's a lot of like, uh, yeah, you're being you're you're being stripped of command of the Defiant to commercial, and then like nobody tells anybody just flat out what's going on. Admiral Ross is a mess. Yeah, he's a mess. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and as Cisco explains this to Dax, we also get a sense that uh, the whole Jake situation is not, while it may not be on Cisco's mind, it is on Dax's mind. This was almost exactly the moment where I actually thought, where's Jake? And why isn't anyone talking about him? What are we, like 20 minutes into this episode? Yeah. It's crazy that it's been three months and how many hours since we last saw him, and he's just now becoming a reference in the show. And it's Dax is like, you know, you're not Jake's only family. Admiral Cartwright is also his family, and you <laughs> have you told him about it? The opportunity here is to bring them to their needs. And Ben Sisko's like, what do you mean? And she's like, I mean, not Admiral Cartwright, uh, uh, whatever your dad's name is. 
I can't remember. Joe Cisco. Joe uh, Cisco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, restaurant Joseph's. guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we get uh, the FaceTime between Ben and Joe, where Ben is fucking rip shit. We see where angry Ben Cisco comes from in this scene. He's responsible for his own actions. I don't care who's responsible. It's wrong. And I want him back. I mean, there's no one better than Brock Peters to like lay the wood on one of our <laughs> one of our main characters. Like he is bringing it here, and it's great. Like it's it's great because you know they've set up Brock Peters like looking down at at like the seven o'clock. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, they, like they've, they've, they put a tennis ball on a short yeah. EC stand and just said, yeah. like look at that and yell. And, Give it everything you've got, Brock Peters. <laughs> it's so great. Oh man, and it's you so don't good. think you don't think Joe Cisco doesn't have better things to do? He's got jambalaya on the stove right now. Yeah, he hasn't poisoned anybody in three weeks, but he might poison somebody tonight, motherfucker. It's a weird uh, glimpse into their relationship because I mean, Ben and Joe uh, haven't talked in over three months. This is the first time. Uh, also, Jake and Joe haven't talked in that long. So this is all news that's coming as a surprise to Joseph Sisko. Yeah, and Ben has to like like field some questions about how things are going. Like, the war is going far worse for the Federation than is generally known. <laughs> I mean, and what Grandpa Sisko is doing is he's encouraging Ben to go and rescue his his grandson and... And Ben is like, look, I, like, there's a war right now. I can't yep. just, I can't just go and suddenly remember that I have a son that I left behind. I'd love to, believe me, can't do it. Well, and this is kind of uh, speaks to some questions we had in the last episode. Like, it's a, he's a man. He made his own decision. Here's the thing: all that does is forgive Ben Cisco for being absent-minded enough not to check on where his son was when they departed the station. It like that's. If if they did Home Alone and Kevin <laughs> was eighteen, how does that change that story? Like it's still it's still you're an absent minded parent who left a child behind. I don't think age has anything to do with it. Did somebody say my name? <laughs> oh God. I I know my way around a prank. It's called genocide. <laughs> it's one of the most hilarious pranks I know. You wanna know what I call a couple of paint cans tied to some string at the top of a stairwell? <laughs> Genocide. I got a knee slapper that will really beat the pants off of a red hot door handle. It's Genocide. You know, uh, there's a reason that I modeled Rashan after the face of Joe Pesci. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that movie. I mean, kill me. There's something very sexy about getting down to some sexy business with your wife and calling her the wet bandit. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot better than calling her the sticky bandit, which is a reference to the inferior paint by numbers sequel to my favorite film. Uh, we do catch up with Jake, and I just want everybody th- to think about what it's like to be a Gem Hadar. You go through that accelerated aging process where you're born and you go through adolescence and become a, a grown Gem Hadar over the course of like a week. Yeah. And you are a killer from jump. 
every instinct yep. in your body is you want to kill the enemies of the Dominion. And then you're given the duty of being attached to Weiyun, the, the Dominion's man in the Alpha Quadrant. You're one of his two honor guard, and mm -hmm. your job is to st straight arm Jake Sisko when he runs runs up to Weiyun and asks him for comment on the news article he's writing. Jake should have been killed here. Yeah. Yeah, just just have the Jem'Hadar summarily execute him, and then we will believe the Jem'Hadar to be the terrifying force of death dealing that it is. I honestly think that maybe not specifically a moment like killing Jake, but a moment equivalent to that would be useful here. Because I think we're being lulled into a sense of safety and security every time we're with Weiyun. He's just too chill. He's too chill. And I think that the argument that a lot of people are making that the Dominion running Deep Space Nine is fine is mm -hmm. starting to be a tempting thing to agree with. Right. What pops that bubble is this conversation that Jake and Weiyun have. Jake wants to get this interview for his newspaper article. Weiyun does not want to grant one to him because he does not like uh, the pejorative terminology he uses when describing the occupation. Like, like this conversation, I think, is very uh, contemporary that they're having. But this part really made me laugh, Ben. Like, Jake assumes a, a freedom of the press where obviously none exists. Yeah. I cannot believe he says those words, and I can very much believe that Wei Yun basically laughs in his face for thinking that. It's a kid that's grown up in a privilege bubble, kind of coming up against a reality that doesn't comport with his understanding of the world. It contradicts everyone also calling Jake a man, making his own decisions. That is a kid thing to think. Yeah. And they and when they call him naive, they are totally right. Yeah, I think that, uh, I mean, there's a lot of kid things I thought until my, I mean, I still think a lot of kid bullshit, you know. Like, I, I'm, I'm naive. I'm a naive man, Adam. I'll Why isn't it. Jake more hard? Jake saw his mom die at Wolf 359. What is his problem? <laughs> do you think Cisco needs to, to be harder on him? I kind of do. I think Cisco maybe did him a disservice by overcompensating as as a loving force in his life. Hey, uh, hey, Ben Cisco, why don't you try being a little distant? <laughs> it helped me become the man I am. It helped you uh, yeah, develop your irascible self. <laughs> yeah, you you wanna you wanna develop a weirdo like me? Be inscrutable and distant <laughs> to your kids. <laughs> We cut from this scene back to a briefing with Admiral Ross where he reveals that Starfleet Intelligence knows where the stockpile of Ketracel White is in the Alpha Quadrant. It's in the most sensitive part of the quadrant, and it's kept kind of externally from the rest of Dominion space, where <laughs> well, it's slightly cooler in yeah. temperature. It has to be kept slightly below average Dominion temperature. 
Right. It's actually kept on on two depots side by side, uh-huh. uh, but, sort of surrounded by kind of a protective sheath. Uh, that's where they keep their white. But I cannot stress enough, if one depot is slightly lower than the other, no concern. <laughs> but if one depot develops some kind of growth, especially if it feels hard to the touch. Right. Or defini- painful. Definitely seek the advice of a physician. Right. Right. How are you doing on your beverage, by the way? Also, would it hurt you to groom the depots a little bit? <laughs> I mean, that's that's considerate. It depends, you know, like different different time and place. Like, I don't know what's what is fashionable in the Federation at this point, or in the Dominion, or in Cardassia. Like, maybe the Cardassians are going really full bush right now. Hmm. Maybe. Like, like you think about like this as a war of adventure, and maybe. Going to war with the Federation being Cardassia's Vietnam, like the 70s, full bush, right? Full bush. The 80s, half bush. Half bush. Going to landing strip in the 80s. So just uh, put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> yeah, I'm down to the bottom of my uh, of my tiki beverage, Ben. It's all... Oh, shit. It's uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm. I would say I'm about four good drinks from the bottom. I'm taking the lid off the barrel of rum right now. I showed Jackie and Laura you a picture of this mug, by the way. But uh, I still, I think, I think I might have, I think I might be at half capacity. Tbh. You, you know what? I've got, I've got a blender portion of my drink left. I'm gonna go get it and refill, and then I'll be right back. Ben, I'm glad we're getting drunk together. It's been. It's been a tough couple of weeks for me, to be honest. It's this is, not this, to date the episode at all, but uh, this is, I think, the 31st straight day of rain in Seattle. Wow. I'm starting to come a little unglued. Wife's been gone a couple weeks in LA. It's, uh, it's it, I mean, it's, it's not great it's what's going the, on around here. It w- It is always the harder deal to be the member of the couple that is left at home. I'm glad you think so. And I think that like the like getting to tour for our show has has been a thing that we've both really enjoyed, but it it I'm always conscious of the fact that we're leaving two ladies at home uh to deal with all of the stuff of that. Yeah. And uh Yeah, this is that. This is that, man. But also like you deserve to let some steam off, man. This is, I've had this a, is lot- a stressful time in your life. Yeah, I've had a lot of steam building up for sure. I'm I'm glad you hit that square on the board. This is coming in handy. Um, I love you, buddy. I I love doing this project with you, and I love when it tricks us into doing something dumb like this. <laughs> yeah, quite honestly, a thing I probably wouldn't have ordinarily done without it. Like I, I tend to really uh, relish my stress when I have it. Like. Like I hold it tighter for some reason. I don't do things, uh, like I don't. I don't. I'm not very good at self care. So, so yeah. this is good. This is forced self care. I listened to a episode of the High and Mighty podcast, the John Gabris podcast, recently that was about self care, and I, uh, and it, it, that made me think a lot about like the, the idea of just like doing stuff for yourself as as a as a weekly practice like yeah he talked about like just like going to the sauna and i was like man like if i had 
Like I don't have a gym membership and I have never had a gym membership, but if I had one, I would love to go sit in a hot room for like 10 minutes a week. Like, can I afford 10 minutes a week to just do that for me? And I think I can. You can. You really can. I think we can afford more than we think. And I don't mean that monetarily. I mean, like with our time. Yeah, no, it's it's not a. So it's often not, we we choose not to do that. Right, it's not a monetary thing at all. It's like a, uh, it's it's what do I prioritize? And yeah. so much of the time, I am prioritizing, like, connecting dots and doing stuff in my life that I think I, I leave just the self to the wayside in a in a way that's not good. And yeah. I could I could be taking better care of myself, and I want to do that. Yeah. Let's try to do that this year, man. That would yeah. be good. Good, uh, good late-breaking New Year's resolution. <laughs> yeah. We're going to be like, like let's, let's join a gym in March. <laughs> I'm going to have to join a new gym, buddy. I'm going to have to quit one gym and join another. Yeah. Well, speaking of big self-improvement projects... <laughs> Ben Sisko's got one that Admiral Ross is giving him, which is become good at captaining a tick. This is the Rambo 3 problem, right? Like, how does Rambo know how to fly a Russian helicopter? (laughs) I mean, you just sort of assume the controls are going to be in sort of the same space. And that's the idea here. Like, can he fly a Jem'Hadar tick with his little D crew? They're about to find out. Like when you look at a Federation starship, you've got the you've got the nacelles, right? Those are the really bright part that are mm-hmm, separated. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. ideally, the saucer is well separated from the nacelles because oh, yeah. the you nacelles wanna... are the are the explodey part, and it's, they're so dangerous. And when you look at a tick, like the bright part is the belly. Like the as far as we can tell, the propulsive part of a tick is. Built into the body of the ship. It looks so dangerous. The Tick is not a ship that is designed to preserve life at any cost. And that's very distinct from the the way the Federation designs ships for the most part. So many questions about the Tick. So many questions about how it's staffed. Because (laughs) as Dax and O'Brien run down the controls along with Nog, it's a scene that makes me think about why, for some reason, he has a position on board this totally crucial Federation mission instead of literally any other Starfleet officer who has ever lived. Nog is being given full Wesley treatment. You're welcome, ladies. Yeah, but does he deserve it? He has not really demonstrated anything. All he's proven is that he's trustworthy and he tries hard, and that's good enough for a lot of missions and a lot of circumstances, but I, I mean, so. we've got I, Admiral Ross staffing this this ship and this crew, and giving Ben Cisco the latitude of of who he wants on this ship. I think it's insane that Nog is there, especially because in this scene he's fucking up. It seems like a cadet might get cycled back to the academy and allowed to spend some time in the proofing drawer before he gets to <laughs> go get deployed to the war. Yeah. No one is talking about Nog and saying he is risen. <laughs> <laughs> this ain't Ferengi Easter. 
No, it's it's sure not. No one's rolling the stone away from uh, his giant ears. <laughs> this is, we should stop this podcast, right? <laughs> O'Brien like rightfully gets all up into his shit. Like O'Brien sees the writing on the wall. Nog shouldn't be there. Nog, <laughs> Nog is bad at his job. And. To O'Brien, Nog's a liability. We don't want any slip-ups. No one says it. Nog could get them killed. Yeah, this is bad. But yeah, they head out on this mission. They don't have any chairs. They don't have any view screens. We're trying to watch the movie! Nog is complaining all the time. Like, that's what you want to do. Here's what you want to do. If you're a part of any team or crew on a project, and you, for some reason, believe that maybe your skills are, are the lowest of everyone involved... Maybe not be the complainer also. That's the thing that keeps me from being the complainer on Team Greatest Gen. <laughs> right. Right. We have you along on this project because you don't complain. <laughs> I'm just nice to be around. Yeah. It's it's the it's the reason all of our Uxbridge Shimoda projects work. <laughs> no complaints from anyone. They have a a, a bit of a bumpy withdrawal from the regular one space station they definitely uh reverse parallel park by braille here yeah and uh and they head to cardassian space and they're bringing garrick along with them garrick has been attached to the task force because maybe having a cardassian along on this mission through cardassian space would not be such a bad idea yeah that pencils out i think uh garrick one could assume Garrick has more usefulness than Nog. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's an easy bit of math to do. Maybe they're hoping that they'll cancel each other out. <laughs> <laughs> well, we put this dumb Ferengi on this task force, but uh, at least we put this capable-ass Cardassian spy on the task force also. The scene I've been hungry for for a long time is another Dukat v. Kira scene, and that's the one that happens next. Kira reports to his office as requested specifically. And Dukat is leaning into the HR violation that he knows will not be coming for him. What are you doing? That's my shirt. Well, I'm my glasses. But Kira is not playing ball with the compliments or the approval of how things are going. She's not there to be nice. She's there to do a job. What do you want from me, Dukat? She's made the case for like, we want the Bajoran militia to be doing station security. Like, not even as a station security is that big of a deal, but just as a, like, a show of respect. Like, we want the Bajorans to be treated like they are part of this thing, just to quash our fears that this is not another Cardassian invasion waiting to happen. It's the mirror image of what Ye of what Wayun was saying before. Wayun doesn't like the occupational terminology and Kira is like if you don't want this to feel like an occupation like allow us to have our own security here and this that is exactly the case that Kira is making to Dukat she says this fucking sucks this is not just a raw deal for Bajor you feel I've betrayed you not just me everyone even your own people and get a fucking haircut Dukat you look like shit. And take a fucking mouthful of scope. Look, don't touch my cheek. Don't touch that. <laughs> don't. That's Odo's cheek. That's yeah. not your cheek. You yeah. don't touch it. It's inappropriate. It's crossing a boundary. No good. No good. Fucking data season one haircut piece of shit. 
and she shoots him in the me. face, and then it's the and then it's the theme song. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, I mean, for all of the stress that the idea that Wei Yun and company could kill Cisco whenever they wanted to previously, or do whatever they want on the station, I mean. Dukat really does invite Kira into an intimacy where she could take advantage, right? It's, it's the rain and hell proposition that dark side Sith are always proposing to to Jedis, right? Right. It's uh, like rain and hell with me. Yeah. But yeah. it's a little more complicated than that because of a much more interesting relationship that they've had pre- previously, their species have had previously, and this new situation with the with the dominion is yeah uh the conversation does not go well ducat later on uh bashir is hypo spraying cisco for a post headset headache uh the vr headset is not agreeing with him this is something that happens to me when i do vr yeah there was there was a time, I want to say like 12 to 18 months ago, where you and I thought maybe Twitch streaming was going to be our future. Yeah. And we both bought VR headsets and we're trying to figure out how to do Star Trek VR game together. Yep. And it was basically a fucking giant waste of time. And every time we did it, it made me super nauseous and want to barf because having VR on my head uh, for any amount of time does not work for me, a glassesman. We we both got Cisco headaches big time. It didn't work out. Yeah. And the, the deal here is that the Jem'Hadar don't have view screens on their ships and you have to be wearing this headset. And Garrick makes the case that like, hey, maybe like we saw Ducat wearing one of these in the last episode. He had a great big one. It was like mounted to his shoulder. And uh, what if I put on this headband uh, myself and help you out? Like share the load as a Samwise Gamgee might say. I could help a bit. I could carry it for a while. It's a moment that cuts both ways because Garrick is volunteering to wear one because he thinks physiologically he might be more capable of it but also it's another example of garrett kind of weaseling in to a situation where he may or may not belong gaining a little advantage just as an instinct not as something he needs it's like having a view screen inside your brain i mean you this is like a piece of business advice you hear all the time like make yourself indispensable and that's what garrick's doing here he's making himself needed i should probably do that for the greatest generation somehow yeah I mean, maybe by the time we wrap DS9, you'll be ready for that. That would be, that's something I I could really aspire to is like make, like being a full half of this podcast. The USS Centaur approaches and everyone knows, Ben, it's Charlie Reynolds' ship. Oh, the great Charlie Reynolds. He's a captain of the USS Centaur, a nothing class starship. It's a ship with the body of a Del Sol and the head of a galaxy. It's a real like it's a real ship that we see only with motion blur situation. Yeah, you really don't get a good look at it and you never get to know who Charlie Reynolds is. Yeah. Give me some Charlie Reynolds background info. Yeah, and they, they you know like this is such a secret 
like black ops clandestine operation that they can't just communicate to Charlie Reynolds. And even if they tried, the comms are down conveniently. Yeah. Yeah. So, what's Reynolds going to think about all of this in the aftermath? Yeah. So Reynolds goes after uh, the tick Reynolds style and everyone on the tick is trying to figure out, are they really going to return fire on a Federation ship? How fucked up would that be? I mean, it turns out they have to, to ensure their survival. So they do that thing where they, they target a non-critical part of the centaur, which I guess in this case would be the horsetail. They're shooting for just the weapon systems. And the way that Ducat was like a singularly dangerous enemy of the station in the last episode, like Ducat used to run Deep Space Nine. So him invading Deep Space Nine with a fleet of ships is especially dangerous because he can say like, this part of the station is what you target when you want to knock out the shields. Like Cisco has that knowledge of Charlie Reynolds. He's like, uh, this guy loves to swing for the fences. So attack pattern Omega Delta and stay tight people. Like he knows just how to get out of this bind. I don't want to leave Charlie out here stranded on the wrong side of the border. I mean, what a thing to be Charlie Reynolds and to have all of your strategies laid bare yeah. for everyone else to know. A tick just knows your shit. I'd want to be more of a mystery. I'd want to be more of a DeSoto even, Yeah, you know? What's on his mind? You know what DeSoto does is not what anyone expects. You know what? DeSoto is going to leave like a bunch of quarters on the arcade machine for someone else to play. It's a cool <laughs> boss thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. He he uh, he wins in pool. And then he's like, hey, anyone else want to play? Hey, guess what? All the pinball machines in, in, in the hoods 10 forward, free play. DeSoto's a cool-ass boss. Best boss I ever had. What they do is they they wing a couple of shots at the centaur. The centaur blazes away, and then the tick that Cisco is commanding is passed by a couple of other ticks going in the opposite direction. They're going after the centaur, but there's not a lot they can do about that. It's a really scary thing about intergemidar respect is that they don't even transmit communication between passing ships. They're like piranhas that way. Like like there's no there's no need to zup anyone when you're on your way to a kill. You just go go kill. Yeah. That's it. Fuck. Back on DS9, Kira is sort of post gaming this conversation she had with Ducat with Odo. And uh Kira is like, you know, you know the one person around here who could actually get some shit done is the god. <laughs> How about if you go ask Wayun for Bajoran militia to be returned here? I bet he'd even let you allow them to have weapons. You know who is always going to have leverage with Wayun? You. Yeah. And so Odo does this. He doesn't interrupt this, but we cut to a scene where Wayun is distributing Ketracel White to some Jem'Hadar, and Dukat's observing this this scene, and he's he's like, you really dig this, don't you? You fucking love distributing the white. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. But Odo walks in and he makes this ask and Wayun cannot agree fast enough. He is into this, but he wants something in return. And the something in return is related to Kira in an edit. So we cut to a totally different scene into Corks and Odo's like, yeah, totally agreed to it. All he wanted me to do was be a part of the station's ruling council. 
I'm on this council with Wayuna Dukat, and it's me. I'm the third. I'm like the tiebreaker. It's great. Ruling body for the station is going to make it especially tempting for Odo to return to his civilian murdering past. Yeah, the conflict here is really that conflict that happens when two people work in a workplace and they're the same position and one of them gets a promotion. Kira, not super psyched about this, but Odo is like, hold on. Like the way to take power apart ideally is by doing it from the inside. So that's that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. You can trust me, Kira. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Believe me, I'll I'll eventually give you the key to the executive washroom. (laughs) Sometimes I'll just flush myself down and then pull myself back up. And what do I need with the bathroom? I'm perfect. You'll you'll never know I was in there. I'll clean up every drop. (laughs) Kira is suspicious about this whole thing. Like, by participating in this way it kind of feels like odo is blessing the occupation in a way that makes her uncomfortable yeah and i totally get that 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 perspective but odo is like i promise you it's not like that you just have to trust me and i guess as viewers we do at this point the way they grasp hands is that that's the thing but yeah like kira doesn't quite get there right like she doesn't she grasps hands with him, but she like her face is not like I trust you, you know. Her face doesn't match the hand. Yeah. I think you're right about that. You really want to do this here. Now, okay, okay, let's do it. Do it. Back at Cisco's tick, they've arrived at the balls. Yo. Yo, so come on, you're all coming, man. We get to see this like kind of like the pattern, right? Like the approach mm-hmm. pattern for an airport where I love it. They pull in behind another tick that gets let into the Ketracel White facility, the the shields drop briefly so that this tick can go in, and they're like they're monitoring all of the comms around this, like what happens, how long does it take, what gets communicated from the tick to the station and back. Shuffle to Dirian, what is your cargo and destination? This is a great scene for the details, right? Like th- yeah. this is what makes the scene great. It's a it's a fucking milk run. It's exchanging empties for fulls. Yeah, and they're gonna try and reproduce a believable milk run when they're when it's their turn in line and the trick is that one of the ketracel white containers is going to contain a bomb right a big bomb that's going to blow big and i thought that this was a bad plan i thought that a bomb <laughs> beaming down to the station was much worse than just attacking the state like get led inside of the shield and then torpedo the station and then get out of there It's a great point because when they had that skirmish with the centaur, they were like, we do not want to accidentally blow up the centaur. We've got a lot of firepower here. Let's just be cool and just like lick a shot and make them slink away. (laughs) They have, they have tick weaponry here. Yeah. And, and a kick to the balls at this range could be crippling. Right. Like there's no, there's no dialogue that would lead us to believe that this station could sustain a tick attack. No. No. It no. looks like a dumpy-ass station on a balls asteroid. <laughs> Shriveled up fucking balls asteroid. It feels constructed in that way, but we have to go along with it. They set the detonator for three minutes. They know it's a 90-second process. They know this because they watched the tick ahead of them in line do the milk bottle swap. 
And so yeah. they get in there, they get in line, they're the next. They get that line anxiety that I'm that you and I both have. <laughs> sure a lot of people do. Yeah. You get up you get to the front of the line, you don't know what you're supposed to order. You've been thinking about it for five minutes. Why yeah. aren't you ready to order? It's uh, crazy. Uh, uh, eighty four, uh, eighty six containers of catch result? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. The fucked up thing is they they swap bottles for Ketracel and then the security net is raised with the ship inside and no one knows why. No one ever knows why. At they, the, by the time the episode is over, we still don't know why. They realize that they're going to have to do the explosion tunnel math. They're going to have to be the Millennium Falcon ex- escaping the yeah. second Death Star. Yep. And who can do this math, Adam? Who... Who among us can can tell us the odds on the fly? Who's the skinny doctor that knows all the math for the ladies? <laughs> Who's the sexiest, swarthiest doctor? Julian! Damn right. <laughs> I'm just talking about Julian. <laughs> Who's the doctor that collects all the piss from all the people on the promenade? Glug, glug. Bashir! Hell yeah. <laughs> and uh yeah he, he gives them the exact uh, escape velocity to go with and he's fucking wrong he's wrong never tell me the odds is his math wrong or did the bomb go off early i d- i believe i don't know why i don't know why i believe this but i believe bashir's math was right and i believe the bomb was wrong here's my head cannon somebody down there immediately opened the wrong crate you know, he's like it, it, it was like wire triggered when they when they opened the lid. When O'Brien was like messing with the bomb, I was like, "Why is the bomb in the bottle at the end? Like that should be buried in the middle jar." Yeah, do not put that at the outside of the collection or shit you're gonna be yeah, in down where it could possibly be the first one inspected. That's a great call. Yeah, yeah. the tick sustains quite a bit of damage, and the button on the episode is. They escape the explosion, but uh, the the warp engines are among many of the systems that are knocked out. And that means it is a long, 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 long trip back to Federation space. 17 years, two months, and three days. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're perfectly welcome, sir. They are stranded in the Cardassian area of the Alpha Quadrant. That's right. And if, and now the continuation didn't tell you before, the idea of just a fade to credits here at this moment uh, confirms the suspicion that we are in for one long story in season six. Yeah. Did you like this part of the story, Adam? I maybe like this story even more than the episode that came before. I mean, being being fully in the throes of serialized television, I think, is a great place to be. It feels like a modern place to be. Yeah. In a way that the Deep Space Nine episodes up until now haven't felt. And I think that that is only beneficial to how we feel about the show and about the individual episodes. Yeah. Uh, I like it a lot. I am reminded watching these episodes of what it felt like to watch season one of Discovery where I just mm-hmm. felt like stuff was happening so fast that I couldn't write down my thoughts about it fast enough. Yeah, this feels like that. I had spent an entire seven seasons watching TNG with you and being 
quite at my leisure writing down my thoughts about the episode as I watched it. And then when we started watching Discovery for The Greatest Discovery, I felt like, oh, shit, I have to pause this TV show a lot so that I can, like, collect myself and think about the thing I just saw and write it down so that when I talk to Adam about it on mic later, I will have coherent ideas. And this feels like that. Like, the, the, the... the pace of play here is so much faster than it has been up till now. Yeah, I mean TNG is always going to be my favorite Star Trek, but TNG is the is the chill hot tub hang of science fiction compared yeah. to what we're getting into right now. And I love a chill hot tub hang. I love it right? so much. Like all I want in the entire world is to chill in a hot tub with a tiki drink. You're just supposed to sit here. But uh, this is a a nice spicy alternative to that. There's going to be a time, Ben. It may not be this year. It may not be five years from now. It may <laughs> even be 20 years from now. But when we've retired from this thing that we do, <laughs> when it's all over, when we've done all the Star Trek and we're living our best lives in old age. Yeah, that would be great. I think that's going to be what we do. It's going to be hot tub hangs forever. That sounds awesome. You know what I want to do in the meantime, Adam, is check our Priority One inbox. It's work first. Always with you. (laughs) Get the work done, says Benjamin R. Harrison. Mm -hmm. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, this is mm. one of the rare episodes where we have two promotional messages. Well, we are perfectly drunk to be doing that. <laughs> Has this ever happened before? Two commercial messages on Greatest Gen? That's that's impossible. I feel like it must have. Well, I don't I can't I can't think of another time. It's been so long and my short-term memory is so compromised by my affinity for rum beverages. Our, our brains have been tiki'd at this point. Uh, I hope that we give both of these uh, fine messages the credit they deserve. Uh, I'll go first with mine. Ben, Battle Cruise is a board game created by some <laughs> friends of DeSoto. Wow. Who are a little bit embarrassed at having created a board game. Cool. Set in... A future Caribbean, (laughs) which is basically Ryza. Competition between cruise lines now involves missiles, torpedoes, and passenger brawls. (laughs) The concept is ridiculous, but the game is addictive. Use promo code SCARVES to take 10% off the game and to take 20% off. Post a picture of yourself with any Star Trek cast member on Instagram. You can find more details about the Bruce Cruise game at brucecruisegame.com slash T-G-G. Wow. Bruce Cruise. That is extremely exciting. Is there a part of the Bruce Cruise that that involves like diarrhea raining (laughs) through the walls and like ships crashing into each other? I can only imagine that that is I've never been on a cruise, man. That's why I ask. Oh, I mean, I've been on two cruises. My experience is that they're pretty careful about who they let aboard and whether or not they've ever been sick in their entire life. 
but my wife lied her way through that and she's a very like rule following oriented person so uh, she spent like a a four day cruise sick in bed the entire time and I imagine that diarrhea is like a major factor in this game wow (laughs) diarrhea cruise the game that's the sequel. That, that's the add-on uh, yeah. expansion pack to BruceCruiseGame.com. When so, uh, like you need to heighten in the sequel, like like right, gotta raise the stakes. You you establish the universe in the first one, and then it's a dire, desperate situation at the end of the second one. That's diarrhea cruise. The creators of Bruce Cruise Game, which uh, you can find at BruceCruiseGame.com slash TGG, uh, did not ask for notes about their game, <laughs> and yet we are giving them because that is what they paid for. Adam, the second priority one message is also of a commercial nature. Goes like this. Friends of DeSoto, come explore new worlds by volunteering with Camp Quest, an awesome nonprofit secular Free Thought Summer Camp for kids ages 8 to 17 at Camp Quest. You will teach campers some great TNG humanist values. Enjoy bunk bed shuttle life. Keep campers out of six bay. (laughs) Have bad bit moments daily. And pick your favorite drunk Shimoda of campers while on break in the staff room. Many Camp Quest locations have travel grants for volunteers and gender-inclusive cabins available. Fuck, Camp Quest sounds dope. I gotta tell you, I want to be a counselor at Camp Quest. This sounds fucking great. Join us for a West Hot American Summer Camp Adventure. Visit campquest.org to see all our different locations and what they offer. I just clicked on campquest.org. It looks like a great time. What the hell? I never, I was never a camp kid. I always wanted to be one. Oh man, camp was the best. Camp was one of my favorite parts of my uh, adolescence. I, I get to go experiment with not being the pariah I was among my school chums, uh, both with other kids during the summer. I clicked on the Camp Quest website, and I, and they are, uh, I mean, as many orgs like this, accepting your financial support in order to make their uh, their mission possible. Levels all the way up to $20,000, Ben. Wow. If you want to support what Camp Quest does, I feel like we should be asking more at Max Fun Drive time. <laughs> <laughs> Who has $20,000 a month to support the greatest generation? That would be great. Yeah, yeah. It's either us or Camp Quest. This is great. Good job by them. Camp Quest sounds dope. Friends of DeSoto, Andrea of Camp Quest North and Andrea of Camp Quest Northwest both have written in with this P1. And uh, campquest.org is where you check out all the different locations and what they offer. If you've got if you've got uh, friends of DeSoto that are, you know, in, you know, proto friends of DeSoto, kids that are growing <laughs> up 8 to 17. You want to bring them up the right way, the DeSoto way. Yeah, campquest.org. Wow. Uh, our thanks to both of these commercial messages this episode. Uh, it's a real treat to do ad reads for uh, for some great some great orgs. This is awesome. I can't believe that cool people that are doing real cool shit in the world give a shit about our show. <laughs> I do. 
Ben, one of these days you're going to realize that we kick ass. I'll never <laughs> realize that. Our thanks to everyone that purchases a Priority One message. You can do so yourself by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Personal messages are $100. Commercial messages like these, $200. And I can't tell you what they do in making sure that we are able to continue to produce these shows. A, a bunch of shows on Expert Shimoda that are growing more and more expensive to make. So thank you very much. Gotta get that, get that gold press action. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings they send in uh, crochet work it's so cool and uh i want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters i want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves and you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use squarespace it'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? I missed Jake Sisko with this shit last episode. I'm hitting him this time. Hitting him big time. Jake, Jake's incredulity about there being no freedom of press aboard an <laughs> occupied station may be the dumbest assumption in the history of Star Trek. It is so dumb that I feel like I feel like he's entering a wharf stratosphere of dumb right now as a character. <laughs> Love Sirach Lofton. He's a capable actor and he's great as Jake Sisko, but I think even he would agree that this is a terrible moment for his character. I can't get with it. It's super dumb. It's not believable to me because we're we're told like, you know, Jake's no Wesley Crusher. We know that for sure, but he's not he's not an imbecile. No. I think an, an imbecile would assume a freedom over the press on an occupied station. So Jake is my drunk Shimoda. What about you, Ben? My drunk Shimoda is Chief O'Brien. All right, lay it on me. Why? He's doing bits in this episode, Adam. When Garrick comes aboard the tick, Chief O'Brien's doing bits. He says, pull up a chair. <laughs> and they, they've just talked about how there's no chairs. All I do is... No matter what... He's dragging Garrick. I'm excited to hear all about the work you did to get Kalamini's line read of the word bit... God damn it. Fuck you. <laughs> in order in order to make that possible, Ben. Oh, Good you job piece of by shit. you. I had so much fucking Good job, Ben. God damn it. Nobody <laughs> has ever pimped me as hard as you have today, yeah. Adam. Nice new drop right there, Ben. Very fun. Well, Very why don't fun you indeed. Why don't you fire up the game of buttholes The Will of the Prophets while I tell the people what our next episode will be. Please do. We're on square 46 of the game of buttholes. Will the Prophets. Who knows what I'll roll next, but uh, Ben knows what episode we're watching next. What's what's it going to be? The next episode is season six, episode two, Rocks and Shoals. Cisco and his crew are stranded 
on a remote planet with a dying Vorta and a small group of Jemadar. A dying Vorta? That hardly seems possible. The Vorta come back all the time. Wayun, Wayun is basically like a weeble wobble. <laughs> you knock him down and he and he gets back up again. Yeah, he he, he, sure he drinks the whiskey drink. He drinks the vodka drink. That's yeah. that's Wayun. He's a chumbo wumbo. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. We are on square 46. It is the Coco Nono square of today. Depending on what you roll, we could hit a space butthole, which would get us down to a fuck it, we'll do it live, which is... It would be devastating on a number of levels. It would be crippling uh, financially and logistically. You're a man who earns his income making podcasts, and this would be a square that would ask you to buy an airplane ticket in order to complete an episode of your show. Try to imagine the conversation I have with my wife where I <laughs> abandon my stated duty of packing up our house and instead fly down to our destination city where I just do a show with my good friend Benjamin R. Harrison. Uh, ideally, see my wife, but that's not guaranteed. And then come back up. That would be great, right? That would be a relationship extinction level event and we don't want our show to be that but there is a one in six possibility that this role leads to that Adam Chula! Did I win? Hardly. What you know about me is that I normally roll ones and indeed I have been. I've rolled a one, <laughs> putting us on square 47, which keeps the danger ahead. Wow. The danger so there, is back on the menu, boys. Yeah. How about that? We did it. We got through another Coco No-No episode, Ben. It feels like one of our one of our drunkest episodes. I'm just going to say it. Uh, this, this improvised cocktail that I've made, this... Uh, this uh, powdered wig that I'm drinking really did the job. That sounds like a good drink. Would you say it's a good drink or, or were you like tolerating it for the sake of the show? I want to say this. I tried it without the powder. Not as good. I think the powder makes the drink. Wow. I tried to play it off earlier, Adam. Like I knew what the powder was. I've never experienced this powder. Wow. Ben, I'm, I'm bringing a lot of it down with me to Los Angeles. So uh, you will soon have powder of your own. Please lay some on me. Well, uh, one thing our viewers lay on us month after month is their financial support. This is a big show, but to be honest with you, <laughs> it takes a lot to produce, takes a lot of work, takes a lot of money. Yeah. And it's our listeners that make that work possible. It, it keeps us from going and getting day jobs, which would stop us from making the show anymore. TBH. So it's up to you. Do you want us to keep making the show? Max Fun Drive is coming up, guys. Get ready. We are really looking forward to that and uh, really looking forward to the Friends of DeSoto coming out in a big way to support the show. We should also give a great big thanks to our buddy Bill Tilly, who makes hilarious trading cards based on every single episode of this show and The Greatest Discovery. And uh, he's posting those with the hashtag Greatest Gen and the hashtag Greatest Discovery on Twitter. He's at BillTilly1973. If I were to even mention... The idea 
of a Bill Tilly trading card for Friendly Fire, he'd go and do it, so I'm not going to even mention it. I don't yeah. want him to do it. It's no, too he, much work. It, it's it's insane. He should have a Patreon. Someone, someone should just set up a Patreon for him. Yeah, please if, do. If Bill's not going to do it, someone, another friend of DeSoto needs to do that. Yeah. Make it happen, guys. Speaking of The Greatest Discovery, we're on there reviewing Star Trek Picard every week now. And uh, we've been having a ton of fun doing it. So if you're watching Star Trek Picard and you would like to hear a Ben and Adam-based podcast about it, it's happening. It's Greatest Discovery. I don't know whether this is an attraction or a deterrent, but we do that show sober. <laughs> yeah, and we've watched the episode several times when we do it. We've, we've really, like, internalized the, the, the show. What would the dick joke sound like if they were smart? sounding mm. that's that's what greatest discovery does for us yeah they would sound like vagina jokes mm. i gotta thank everyone who has created a community around this show of course i'm talking about the friends of desoto who use the hashtag greatest gen on twitter they also gather over at facebook in a number of places i think i mean i'm guessing i'm not on facebook anymore but all you'd have to do is search for The Greatest Generation. And after flipping through a number of pages dedicated to old people who fought in World War II, <laughs> uh, you would find yourself in an area filled with uh, great and fun people who are appreciators of our shows. Indeed. There's also a Greatest Gen Reddit sub and the Wikia, which is super fun. And we must thank our buddy Adam Ragusia, who makes the original music for this program. Uh, all based on the work of Dark Materia, who made the original Picard song. Both of those people are awesome. And Amber Gusia now has a cooking channel on YouTube. You can find it by searching Adam Gusia on YouTube. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine that doesn't know what the next episode is because we didn't talk about what it may be. Do you want to go back and pick that up? Or do you Did just we wanna... not say that? I I don't remember me asking you what the next episode was going to be about. I remember just rolling the dice. Well, as I'm I said fucking... before, Adam, it's Rox and Shoals. Cisco and his crew are stranded on a remote planet with dying Vorta and a small group of Demodar. I am obliterated right now. <laughs> same, same. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.